It's good to be together this morning, the first Sunday of Advent. This is um, a special morning for for us because it's actually one year ago uh, today, the first Sunday in December, that was the first time we visited LifeBridge. And so it was um, my oldest daughter, Brenna, and I came and sat over here and, and left saying, well, that's a really beautiful community. Like just the, the congregation that, that is gathered around Jesus in this place is, is really beautiful. And a year later, uh, we've gotten to experience the beauty of LifeBridge Community Church uh, up close. And, and we're, so, we're super grateful, uh, grateful to be here, grateful that God has kind of like woven our lives uh, together. And there is no place I would rather be this morning than right here with you all, celebrating Jesus and celebrating hope and hearing the stories of how God is at work. So thanks for just showing up, for bringing your whole self into worship today. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to be together. <clears throat> so I don't know how many of you have... Growing up in a setting where you have experienced Advent, this part of the church year that um, is set aside to prepare for the coming of Jesus. I did not grow up in a church setting where we did that, uh, so it was new to me when I was probably I was probably in my late teens or early twenties. The first time, um, yeah, you know, I'd heard the word Advent and kind of had to learn about it, um, but I love it. It's the church is celebrated this season for uh, somewhere around 1,500 years, probably, and, and saying we don't just want to jump into Christmas, but we want to like prepare ourselves for Christmas. We want to prepare our hearts, and so what we do is we take four weeks that lead up to Christmas to do just that, and and oftentimes, not every year, but oftentimes the church returns to these four really central themes of hope and joy and peace. And love. Things that we need to hear again and again. We need uh, hope and joy and peace and love in our lives and on regular, uh, regular rhythms. And so that's what we're going to do this year. We're going we're to we're be in a series called Flame. And I think it's appropriate as we're going to have these, these flames that kind of represent these four themes uh, for us. And so um, Flame is, is the series title, uh, very simple, and maybe you're like, all right, what, what does that have to do with, with church and Jesus and Christmas? But you might actually be surprised how often in the scriptures flame or fire is used as a metaphor for God or God's presence or what God is wanting to do. So I just want to give you, here's a handful of scriptures where fire is like the, the medium that God uses to reveal his presence. So we're going to go Old Testament, New Testament, just a couple of these to kind of get a feel for it. All the way back to Exodus, second book of the Bible. Exodus 3, verse 2. says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him, and this hymn is Moses, in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So God appears to Moses in this burning bush. Uh, it, still in Exodus, chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, it says, But by day the Lord went ahead of his people in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So God is like guiding the people through the wilderness by fire at night. <clears throat> this reassuring presence of God. Uh, jump into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 3, 
John the Baptist says this about the coming Messiah. He says, he, or I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the part of like God's presence in our lives is going to be like this baptism of, of fire. Acts chapter 2 is kind of the fulfillment of what John the Baptist saw. Acts chapter 2 verse 3, it says, um, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So this, like, this filling of like, the Holy Spirit, and it was represented with, by fire, this flame of God that rested on his people. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse uh, 29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. Like part of the way that God reveals himself is, is this fire that, that consumes anything that is not of God. And purifies and makes us holy. In Revelation 1, the very last book of the Bible, verse 14, it's, a, it's an image of Jesus, like the risen Jesus. John sees into like heaven, and this is what he sees. The hair on his head was white like wool. So my beard is getting closer and closer to this all the time, becoming more Jesus-like. That's our call. Um, his, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. So you just imagine Jesus, like the fire of God's love coming from his eyes. I love this. And then lastly, the last one I'm going to look at is this call to us. And it's Paul writing to Timothy, who's a leader in the church, and he says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So you have this flame within you that is a gift from God. Like, don't take it for granted. Don't let it go out, but fan it into flame so that it burns even brighter. And this is what we want to talk about today. Like, how do we do that? How do we fan the, the flame that God has put inside of us? Because fire does two things, right? It does two things. If all the lights were off in this room and it was completely dark outside and the Christmas lights were off in the street, what would this candle be? It would be light, right? Fire gives, gives light. That's, that's super important. Um, but it also gives warmth, right? This, this flame, if you were close to it and if you were super cold, you could kind of warm your hands with it. So fire gives light and it gives warmth. This incredible gift of God that God actually wants to set this flame in our hearts. He wants to light a flame of hope within us. And this flame of hope gives light and gives warmth to the cold and dark places of the world. I mean, you don't have to look hard to see cold and dark places in the world. Right? This morning, I was like laying in bed. I woke up super early. I woke up like 2 o'clock. I couldn't go back to sleep. And I did the dumbest thing. I started looking at the news. Right? At like 2 o'clock. And it's stupid. I know better than that. But I, it's probably not the dumbest thing, but it's a dumb thing. And so I'm just, you know, I'll pull up a news app, and I'm looking, and it's like, oh, okay, like, everything's broken, and, you know, the world's falling apart, and there's just cold and dark things everywhere. We have, and we experience them in our lives. I mean, this week, right, we, some of us were, um, and Dorothy, you shared this, like, last week, your, your nephew, right, the, this tragic death of a, of a young man. Tragedy happens, like accidents happen. 
And when we experience tragic things, it's cold and dark and there's pain. There's sickness, lots of prayer requests about sickness in our bodies, like the struggle of our bodies. There's violence in, in our world. Uh, there's corruption. <clears throat> People who are in positions of leadership, but they take that power um, and they misuse it and they, they abuse it and use it in corrupt ways and it causes so much destruction. We see that. There's loneliness that we feel. Um, and maybe sometimes, especially during the holiday season, it feels like, oh, well, everybody else has people to be you know, around and, and I feel lonely. And loneliness makes us feel cold and dark often. And they're broken relationships, right? They're relationships that we wish were mended, but they're not. And so there's, like, there's cold and dark stuff all over, and we experience it. And we, the people of God, I believe God wants to ignite this flame of hope within us and then invite us to bear that flame into the cold and dark places of the world. I think that's, that's the invitation from Jesus, is to allow his flame of hope to do that within us. Um, now, where do most people, like in, in a, a world that has all these cold and dark places, where do most people put their hope? Like, where are the common places that if you're going to, like, just take a poll of people on the street, or maybe people couldn't even answer it, honestly, because they don't even know, but if you could, like, see sort of what's going on inside of a person's heart, <clears throat> where are they putting their hope? I just put together a couple, and you might have a better list than this, but here are a couple common things. I think people tend to put their hope in the circumstances getting better. What are you hoping in? I'm hoping it gets better. And that's, that's great. I hope circumstances get better too. And, and often they do, but sometimes they don't. Right? I mean, it's right? The circumstances don't always get better. And so if our hope is in better circumstances, sometimes our hopes will be dashed. Sometimes we put our hope in the future. Um, and, you know, like we physically, we put our hope in the future, like, okay, I'll get better, and, uh, you know, I'll, my strength will, will come back, and I'll have a, a long, uh, you know, happy life. And, and my wife said this in a, in a chapel talk she gave a couple of weeks ago, which, by the way, I've spoken at chapel at a school our kids go to two times, and one of the students, as I'm walking out, his dad says to me, my kid got in the car, and he's like, that was the best chapel ever that Carmen gave. So if you want, super proud of her. So maybe Carmen should be preaching. So that's all I'm saying. Um, but one of the things she said is we're not promised a long and healthy life. Um, that wasn't like the gist of her talk, but it's kind of a downer. Um, we're not promised a long, and we're not. This is, this is just the reality that, that our physical bodies, they, they break down. And, and we feel it, and we, we, we get tired, and there's a frailness and a fragileness to our physical body. So our future, right, isn't, it isn't necessarily a great place to put our hope. Sometimes we put our hope in the future, like, through our, the next generation, through, through our children. We put, like, all of, like, our, our hopes and dreams are pinned on them and their successes. But what happens if they can't handle that pressure of our hopes on them or if they make decisions that disappoint us and they head a different direction? Sometimes we put our hope, not in the circumstances or not in the future, but we put our hope in stuff, especially around the Christmas time, right, the Christmas season. If I just had that thing, right, then my life would be better. We put our, we put our hope in, 
in stuff, and whether that's a, a house or a car or a particular gift or whether it's financial security, you know, if I just had that nest egg sort of built up and then I could, I could sleep easier if I had that financial security in my life, if my retirement fund uh, was fully funded. But what happens if the economy fails or the, the markets or, or businesses falter? Right? It's, a, it's not a stable place for a hope. And lastly, I think people sometimes put their hope in other people. We put our hope in leaders, right? Whether they're politicians or celebrities or Christian leaders, pastors and other leaders. I mean, they're going to be the one who like leads us forward and leads us into a brighter future. <clears throat> and, and what happens when we put our hopes in people? They're going to disappoint us because we come to find out they're just people. They're just like us. They have the same the same failures and the same uh, insecurities as, as we do. They're flawed just like everybody else. And, and you put your hope in a person and then the scandal breaks. And then the tapes are leaked. And then their character is exposed and the hopes are dashed. I mean, have you gone through that? I've had, unfortunately, like I've had so many leaders that, that I've looked up to that have, have, you know, just like it's been disappointing. So I promise, okay, this is like the downer part of the sermon. It will get more hopeful from here. But I think it's important to name. Because Proverbs 13, 12 says it this way, A hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. What does that mean? Well, I think it means we better make sure that whatever we're putting our hope in is hope-worthy. Because there are lots of things that are not hope-worthy. They're not stable enough to, for us to anchor our hope to. And if we put our hope in something that is just going to sort of vanish in front of us, our heart is going to be sick. And I think there are lots of people around us, and maybe some of us, our hearts are sick because we have put our hope in something that isn't worthy of our hope. And so, what is a uniquely Jesus-centered hope? Like, what is the hope of Christmas? What is Christian hope? And that's what we're here to celebrate. And that's what we're here to grow into and let God light this flame in our hearts. Christian hope is not optimism. It's not like this optimistic view of the future where, hey, everything is going to get better. Our hope is not just in our circumstances getting better, but our hope is in the one who is above our circumstances. In the one who promises to be with us in whatever the circumstances we are in. Our hope is in God with us. As followers of Jesus, like this is, this is it. This is our hope. Our hope is in the presence of God with us. And now how in the world does that change things? If, if God has promised to be with us, what difference does that make? And, and why does that bring us hope? Let's take a look, take a look at Matthew chapter 1. Verses 22 and 23. Um, the angel comes to this young woman, Mary, and he announces that God is going to do this miraculous thing through, through her, and she is going to bear into the world the very presence of God in flesh, Jesus. And, and so um, Matthew, he tells that story, and then he gives us a little, a little note, and he says this, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet maybe 500 years earlier through the prophet Isaiah, and this is what God had told Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, and what does the text say? God with us. So Jesus, or like, well, his name is Jesus. Yeah, but like he, 
He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. This is what God is doing. God became flesh in the person of Jesus, in this child, and he became God with us. One of my uh, pastor friends says it this way, that Jesus became God with us because God didn't want to be God without us. I love that. God didn't want to be God without you. Like, he wanted to be God with you. And he wanted to be God with us. And so he comes in flesh to, to like, show us that this is his desire, to be God with us. Do you feel that this morning? That, that God loves you that much, that he wants to be with you. He, he, he longs to just sort of, like, bring you to himself. And this God with us, Emmanuel thing, is like... Richard Foster calls it, it is the, he says it's the Emmanuel principle that, that ties the whole Bible together. From Genesis to Revelation, you could, you could um, name the central theme of the Bible as the Emmanuel principle, the God with us reality. And here, I, he says it better than I can, so I'm just going to read this. <clears throat> Richard Foster's words, from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end of the Bible, we learn that the Emmanuel principle is, after all, a cosmic principle. That God is used all along in creation and redemption. It alone serves to guide human life aright on earth now and even illuminates the future of the universe. It is the wellsprings of the river of life flowing through the Bible and surging with the gracious word of God to all humankind. I am with you. And this river pours into the thirsty wastelands of the human soul, inviting us to enter with its insistent call, will you be with me? And do you hear that? What what is God saying to you today? I'm with you. Do you hear him? And his invitation is, will you be with me? Will Will you come and will you be with me? I want my life to be an emphatic yes to this question. I I want my life to to be a a, a giant yes, that our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is not in progress. Our hope is in a person, and it is the person of Jesus who is God with us. And this is is where our hope hope lies. Now, the word Advent, um, anybody know what it means before Josh puts it on the screen? Anybody? Arrival. Yes, very good. Um, Jeannie, Jeannie got it. Bonus points. Um, so arrival is, is what the word means. And, and so Advent is like the celebrating of the arrival of Jesus, God with us. And as Carmen said in the reading, we look back to, to recognize the arrival of Jesus, God in flesh, born of, of Mary in Bethlehem. And we'll keep looking at that over the next couple of weeks. But um, it actually, the word advent is like the English word that comes from this Latin word, adventus. Adventus. Now, little, little fun history lesson. I, I hope you like history. This is, this is actually really cool stuff. So the word adventus was a very specific kind of arrival. If you were to go back in time a couple thousand years and you use the word adventus, what it meant was a king was returning to his city, 
to like his royal city where his throne was and where, you know, the castle was, a royal residence. And what would happen is, like, let's say a king was, was out and about traveling. Maybe there was a battle or maybe doing diplomatic stuff. And the king was on the way home. There would be an, a herald that came, not a dude named Harold, but like somebody who announced things. And maybe his name was Harold. And I always thought it's funny, like, hark the herald angels sing. Like, if there was an angel named Harold who was, like, announcing Jesus, I th- that was great. That's a Christmas. Can we work that into the Christmas musical, Michelle, wherever she is? So anyhow, there would be this herald that, like, announced, like, the king is coming. And so what would people do? Like, if, you, if we're residents of that city and our king is returning, we wouldn't just, like, wait in our homes, right, for the king to come back. We would gather And just like we did with the parade last night, we would line the streets and we would like have all this pomp and circumstance and fanfare and we would wait for the king to come back and we would maybe line the streets with our coats or with like branches of palm trees or whatever and we would welcome the king back into his royal city, right? Spilling out of the gates, spilling onto the streets, welcoming and celebrating our king. That was Adventus. And you can, you can see the Roman emperors use this um, throughout the Middle Ages. Sometimes it was called like a royal entry or a royal return. That is the image of Advent, right? Is that our king is returning. Our king is coming And our invitation is to open the gates of our hearts, like to open sort of the the doors of our innermost being and to welcome the king, to welcome God with us and to celebrate him and to make room for him in our lives because he is our hope. This is the invitation of Advent, the posture of our hearts. Does that make sense? And this this is what we want to do as a church. God with us changes everything. I mean, it changes absolutely everything in our lives when we recognize God with us. Do you know what it, one of the things it does is it takes the stress off from having to have everything right and to fix everything yourself. You feeling any stress these days? Nobody? Like the Christmas season doesn't bring up any amount of anxiety or stress in you? Um, I'm guessing, I'm guessing we, some of us feel plenty of stress. But one of the things that God with us does is it takes the stress off of us because I, I don't have to fix everything. Um, sometimes we, we live our life for God instead of living life with God. Does that make sense? Like, you know what? My job is to do lots of things for God, and so I'm going to serve for God, and I'm going to live for God, and I'm going to, you know, give for God, and I'm going to, like, do all of these things for God, and we just run out of gas when that's the, the way we're living. But that's not what God wants us to do. He says it's, it's life with me, not life for me. And when we live with God, my only job and your only job is to abide in him to be with him, to keep our hearts open to him. And when we do that, like he does all the heavy lifting. Like he's the one who does all of the heavy lifting and we just get to sort of be faithful to him and walk along with him and and to abide with him. When when we live with God, it it takes the stress off of our lives. Sometimes when I imagine, Brynn and I were talking about this the other day, like when I'm going through really stressful things in my life um, and, and stuff that's keeping me up at night or whatever it is, I have this mental practice that somebody taught me uh, a decade ago or so. It said, I picture myself a thousand years from now sitting in the, the kingdom come, 
sitting in the world to come. And I'm sitting beside a stream, beside a mountain, because this is where I want to be. And I'm sitting on a rock with Jesus. All right, it's just me and Jesus hanging out. Sorry for wherever you guys are. Uh, right? Jesus will get with you later. Uh, but I'm sitting there on the rock with Jesus, and we're looking back to my life at this moment of this thing that is stressing me out. And we're just like laughing together about like how worried I was about this thing. So you can try that. Like next time you're just like so overcome with stress, imagine yourself a thousand years from now, you're sitting with Jesus in, in the kingdom of God, and you're just like looking back on this moment, and it just puts everything in that perspective. I, I love that. Um, but the other thing it does, God with us takes fear away from us. Like God's presence, it, it, it actually removes fear. Uh, the 23rd Psalm, maybe the, the most popular Psalm in, in the Bible, says this. One verse says this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Have you ever, have you ever like been scared, but then you realize you weren't alone? Like that there was somebody who was, who was with you, who you trusted, and it took the fear out of the situation? Like when our kids were little, they would, they would often do this. They'd have a bad dream or something like that, and then they'd come busting into your room in the middle of the night, like, you know, tugging on your, your arm, or like, Daddy, Daddy, like, I'm scared. I had a bad dream. Can I, can I be with you? To which, of course, like as a good dad, you respond, like, get out of here. Go back to bed. I'm trying to sleep. Taylor says, no, like, that's not what, right? That's not what we do. What do we do? We, like, of course, like, you, you gather them up, and you're with them. And here's the thing, like, what am I going to do? If their dream is coming true, if there's, like, a monster, like, we're all goners. But somehow, but somehow my presence is reassuring to them because they trust me, and they know that I love them. Does that make sense? Like, the, being with God, it takes the fear out of our lives. Like, what if, what if that's what God wants for us? God with us changes everything. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 to 20 says this. Um, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. So like the writer of Hebrews is saying this. is like you and I, we are the people who have fled all of those false hopes, all those unworthy hopes, all of those things that other people cling to, we've fled all of that, and we have grabbed hold to this anchor for our souls. And this anchor that is hope in Jesus, it is firm and secure. It is not going to slip. It is not going to fail us. Because this anchor is tied, he says, into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. That's temple language, right? That, that's like temple language. If you were... Um, if you were uh, an Israelite, you know, a couple thousand years ago, and you went to the temple, what you would discover is like there were the outer courts and then the inner courts, and everything was like on these concentric circles of like God's presence getting more and more real until you got to the very center of it, and it was behind the curtain in the inner sanctuary called the Most holy place. It was like the hot spot of God's presence. If you wanted to be with God, you went to the temple. 
And what Jesus has done, the writer of Hebrews says, is he went into that most holy place, into that sanctuary behind the curtain, and he, in fact, was the very presence of God, and he brought the presence of God back out from that sanctuary, ripped the curtain in half through his death and resurrection, and he invites anybody, anywhere, at any time to be with him, like in that most holy place. So our hope is in God with us, that we don't have to go to a special building, we don't have to to be close to a special place, that our anchor for the soul is in God's presence with us here and now today. This, This is our hope. And then our hope isn't just that God is with us here today, as much as that changes circumstances, um, whatever you're facing today, whether it's fears or stress, trouble or temptation, circumstances that make you feel hopeless, like maybe you feel like giving up, maybe you feel like despair, God's invitation, his voice calls out to you, says, I am with you. Will you be with me? And I believe with my whole being that if you become aware that God is with you, it will change everything in your life. But it's not just hope for today. God with us is the hope of the world. It's not just hope for us today in our lives. It is the hope of the world. Where's the world headed? What do you think? Where's the world headed? You know where it's headed? It's headed toward God with us. I can promise you that. Because that is what the sure hope of Jesus declares. The world ultimately is headed toward God with us. The very last uh, book in the Bible, the second to last chapter, Revelation 21 and 22, says it this way. Then I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. Do you hear this? God with us is the hope of the world. It is the future. Um, That he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more mourning or death or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now, it might be a long, hard road. Like history might wind out to be a long, very winding, very hard road, but I can promise you there is a good, good end. And if we were a Pentecostal church, somebody might say amen to that. Like this is the hope of the world. Right? That God with us is where the story is going. And Advent is about preparing our hearts to be with God. So we look back to his first coming. And we also look ahead to his future coming. And as we look back to his first coming, it fills us with the promise that he is with us today through his Holy Spirit. And as we look ahead to his future coming, that God is going to be with us forever, it gives us this hope-filled promise for the world And it inspires us to live toward that, to live into that calling. How does that make a difference in your life? If if the the direction the world is headed is toward God with us, toward the future coming of Christ, the next Adventus of Christ, when we welcome our king back to his royal throne, how does that make a difference? Well, has anybody ever read the books, uh, The Green Ember? Anybody? They're like young adult books. Some, a few people. I highly recommend it. It doesn't matter if you're not a kid like, I loved the books as much as my kids did. We read these together. Um, it, it's phenomenal, phenomenal books. It's, it's all about, like, it's kind of like epic narrative, 
but it, it's written in this like Christ-centered way. And so just, just real quick, like the green ember is about these, these rabbits whose world is just turned upside down by predators, wolves and hawks. They are, you know, they, they're steel, steel, kill, and destroy. They represent evil and the, the powers of evil. And so these rabbits, they're, they're doing battle against evil and treachery. And they live with this hope of something they call the mended wood, right? And they live into that. And no matter how dark and bleak and cold the world gets, or matter, no matter how harsh the circumstances are, they, they have this phrase that calls them into this hope-filled future of the mended wood. And, and when things get really dark and really cold, they look at each other and they say, it will not be so in the mended wood. And I would read that, and I'd have, like, tears in my eyes with my kids. And, I, like, I wish the church had language for this. Like, when tragedy happens, I wish we'd look at each other and we'd just be able to be like, it will not be so in God's mended world. When there are problems, sickness, disease, then we'd say, it, it will not be so in God's mended world. And then we would live into that. We would live like as people who bear hope in a cold and dark world. That we live with the hope of the mended world that God promises. God with us is the hope of the world. So, so two things as we just kind of wrap this up. You can practice hope. You can practice it. Like you can actually choose to live into it. Psalm 130 verse 7 says this, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Because with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. So like today, your call is to put your hope in the Lord. He is the anchor for your soul into like God's presence. And you can choose to grab a hold of that anchor and to actually choose to put your hope in him and in his character. So you can practice this. So, so do you have a flame of hope in your heart? Like today, are is. Do you have this, like, this flame of hope, of God with you? This hope-filled vision of the future, of God's mended world? Do you have this flame of hope burning in your heart? And I invite you to be honest about that. Because God deals in reality, right? He doesn't want us to pretend or to fake it till we make it. He just wants us to be honest. And so maybe your answer is like, no, not really. Like, I don't really have much hope. And I'm so grateful that the way God treats us when, like, if our hope is just, like, maybe it's smoking, maybe it used to be burning at one point, but it, the hope is almost gone. Do you know how God deals with that? Isaiah 42, he says, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He's gentle with it. And do you know what he does? Is he comes along, and, like, when we're open, and we're like, God, would you, would you ignite this hope in my heart? I want hope in you that he comes along and he reignites it and he breathes on it and he's gentle with it and he wants this flame of love, of his hope to burn in our hearts. Last year, we, um, we had a fireplace, like a wood-burning stove that we heated our house with. We, we rented this big old drafty house. You could tell which way the wind was blowing in the living room. Like it was just like, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. Um, and so we decided we we're going to burn as much wood as possible. The other, the other source of heat was a big boiler uh, heated with, like, fuel oil. So super inefficient and incredibly expensive. 
And so we're like, all right, burn wood. And what I discovered is like keeping a fire going became one of my favorite spiritual practices. Because what would you do? You load this wood-burning stove up at night, and it you know, blazing hot, and you damper it down so it would burn all night long. But I'd wake up in the morning, and what's, what's there? Just ashes, right? And it doesn't look like there's any fire left. And so what would you do? Like, well, okay, you got to open the door, and you got to take the poker, and you got to, like, agitate it a little bit. you got to, like, stir it around. And what you discover is, like, okay, there are some coals there that are still hot. And then you take some, some dry wood, some new material, and you, you put it into the fireplace. And then you open the damper. And you, maybe you breathe on it a little bit. And all of a sudden, what starts to happen is those, those embers that have gotten cold overnight, they start to glow again. And then there's a little smoke. And my favorite moment was like this flashpoint. Like, right, I loved it so much. I couldn't even name, like, why can I not look away? If I missed it, I would almost want to put the fire out and start again. Because, like, there's something, like, so meaningful to me about that moment of ignition, that, that flashpoint. And I would just sit with God as I'm doing this. And, and what I discovered is, like, this became a representation of my heart. Like, my heart gets cold so fast, so quickly. The circumstances of life, like, whatever it is, like, maybe, maybe you're not like that, but this is true of me. And I know that my first job every morning is to allow God to do this very thing in my heart, is to let my heart be stirred by his word and by his Holy Spirit, like, to, to be agitated a little bit, because maybe I'm just, like, too comfortable, and I need to be stirred by his spirit and his word, like that I need to add new material, right? I need, I need like a fresh word from God. I need to be reminded of things that are true that maybe I've forgotten. And so I have these practices of reading scripture and, and, and prayers that, that speak to me, and I need to do that. And, and then I need to ask the wind of the spirit, the breath of God, to blow like, sort of on my heart and to let that like flashpoint happen within me. And I think this is, this is a practice, right? What does it look like for you to allow God, like your first job every morning is just to let God warm your heart, to ignite this flame of hope. And, and I promise you, like God wants to be with you. And if you, like if you choose to answer God, to say, God, I want to be with you too, and he'll meet you. It might not be in the way you expect. You might not always feel anything. But I promise you, God will meet you in this. A very, simple, a very simple prayer that I, I would encourage you to pray. It's, it's a very, very simple prayer. It's just responding to God in your own quietness to say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Here you are, Lord. Here we are together. Here I am. Here you are. Here we are together. I taught this to some, some folks uh, back in Kansas years ago, and they added the last phrase, here we go. Here I am, here you are, here we are together. Just be aware of God's presence and let, allow God to, to spark that fire in your heart. And then, whatever that practice looks like for you, make it your own, but, but don't neglect this to allow the flame of God to warm your heart. This is, like, this is on us to put our hope in the Lord. It's on, God will meet us, but we choose to do this. We choose to open our hearts, that Adventus, like allowing our hearts to be open to him. And then secondly, to don't just practice hope, but then to pass that hope on to others. 
Like, what would it look like for, again, I don't know how many people are in this room right now and the kids that are upstairs, but what if there was a flame of hope burning in every one of our hearts? Like, what if, like, in our hearts we revered Christ as Lord and then we carry that into the world, wherever we are, to the places we live, we work, we learn, we play? Like, what if we just had this flame of hope burning in our hearts? If we just kind of, like, this, this light that, that pushes back with warmth and light and into cold and dark places, and it, it had the warmth to thaw cold hearts and light to push back darkness, and we would just bear this flame of hope. Like, what would happen? See, the thing I love about fire is fire is an absolutely abundant resource, if you guys all had candles, and we'll do this on Christmas Eve, it's one of the reasons why Christmas Eve is my favorite service of the year, is like if you all had candles, like I could light your candle, and how much would my flame diminish? None. Like you have this flame of hope that God has placed in you. And so like you can carry this into the world, and you can be like somebody who, who's not like overly optimistic, Maybe that's your personality, and that's great. That's not me. But you can bear this flame of hope where you are revering Christ as Lord, and you walk through the world with the sense that God is with me. He is with me in this moment, and there is a, a God with us vision of the future, and I bear this flame, and maybe God is going to invite you to light somebody else's candle in, in very simple ways. And you can do that a thousand times. Every one of us can do this a thousand times, and it won't diminish our flame at all. Fire is an abundant resource. And so you have this invitation, and I just dropped wax on my hands. Um, <laughs> so what does that look like to, to bear this flame of hope into the world? I can promise you if you do that, I can promise you if you do that, people will take notice. People will ask you, like, tell me, what's up? What's up with the hope that you have? And you give an answer, like, my hope's in Jesus. My hope is in God with us. I, I believe that he loves us and he's with us and he's for us and he's on our side and he's come to save us and redeem us and heal us. You just get to put it into your own words. Practice hope and pass hope on. Let's pray. God, you are a consuming fire. Jesus, we, we, we want to see you as you really are. And this vision of you with just like hair on your head that is white like wool and your eyes ablaze with fire. Would you look at us with those, those eyes of fiery love today? And God, you know the condition of our heart. Maybe our heart is cold and hard and there hasn't been a fire there for a very long time. But Lord, you, you want to reignite it. You want to be with us. You want to give us this hope that is an anchor for our soul. Give us a courage, even now. Like, give us a courage to respond to you. So, like, maybe that's you. Like, maybe you're, you see that image of a fireplace that is just, it's dark, and it's like there's nothing warm left in there. Would you just believe God for, for warm coals in your heart? Would you just, just open your heart to him, and that's all he needs. And he'll take care of the rest. God, would you set us ablaze with hope? Ignite this fire in our hearts, God, that we could bear the flame of hope into a cold and dark world. We, we trust you. We love you. We know, God, that you have, God, that you have um, called us to the places we live and work and learn and play. And we know that you have work for us there. Help us to be obedient to you and to live with you in those places. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.